You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. risen Amen. If you are new here, it's your first time, welcome. We're so thrilled to have you. My name is Jamin. If you're visiting uh, with us online, we're so thrilled that you are worshiping with us right now. If you are new here, uh, at the end of the service, uh, some of our elders and pastors will be right out these doors uh, in the room next to the worship center. We would love to, to meet you, tell you more about us, and then also find out more about you. I also know because of the season that we're in, it could be that for some of you, this isn't your first time here, but it's your first time back in a long time. And if that's you, uh, welcome. It's good to see you. We've missed you. Uh, the reason we do church on Sunday, the reason the people of God gather on Sunday is because It was on a Sunday that 2,000 years ago the world changed. There was this great reversal that happened from a Friday to a Sunday, and and because of that reversal, nothing will ever be the same. What what happened on Friday was in the middle of Jerusalem, the Roman Empire, under pressure from the Jewish religious leaders, accused, tried, and sentenced, and then executed Jesus of Nazareth to death by crucifixion. That was on a Friday he died. But on a Sunday... In the middle of a garden outside of Jerusalem, our God and our King, the Lord Jesus, opened his eyes with a resurrection breath in his lungs, and he walked out of the grave. On Friday, he died. On Sunday, he came back to life. This great reversal happened, and nothing will ever be the same. If you think all of Friday's sorrow and all of Friday's fear surrendered to all of Sunday's joy and was overwhelmed by all of Sunday's hope, on Friday... Jesus' words were doubted. On Sunday, all of his words proven true. On Friday, he's mocked. On Sunday, he's worshipped. On Friday, he's beaten. On Sunday, he's embraced. On Friday, sin reigns. And on Sunday, grace wins. On Friday, the world is over. On Sunday, eternity began. On Friday, death was proud. And on Sunday, death is defeated. On Friday, Jesus is crucified, King of the Jews. On Sunday, he reigns, King of kings and Lord of lords, who was and is and is to come. And all glory and honor and dominion and power belongs to our Lord Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Because on Friday, he died. And on Sunday, he came back to life. That's why we're here. We are a Sunday people, church. Christian, you are uh, part of resurrection people. We together are resurrection people. And the Bible says if he's still dead, then, then we're pitied above all. We're foolish and we're still in our sins. But if he lives, it means everything has changed. And so the resurrection of Jesus is not just a religious story. Uh, Easter Sunday is not just empty tradition. It's a reminder that we as Sunday people, not Friday people, but Sunday people, are resurrection people and our lives are forever changed because on Friday he died and on Sunday he came back to life. And I wonder what kind of comfort that could hold in a season like the one we're in. I wonder what kind of truths the empty tomb could speak to us and maybe speak uniquely to us because of what the last year or year and a half has been like. What I think God would remind us of this Easter Sunday in a season that's very uncertain, in a season that's filled with anxiety, a season that's filled with frustration, in a season where maybe confidence in a lot of things has been diminished. We remember on Resurrection Sunday that resurrection people have assurance in the things that matter most. 
We have confidence in the things that matter most. Because on Friday He died, on Sunday He came back to life. There are things that we, even in seasons like this, there are things that we can hold on to. Rather, there are things that hold on to us that will never change. Paul tells us that in Romans. He is ending chapter 4, a long conversation about the faith we have. Taryn read this for us, uh, the nature of faith and righteousness. And he says this in verse 24, but for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in what? In him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And the very next word is therefore. So, uh, Believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. We believe in the resurrection. And then the one who died for our sins was raised for our justification. Therefore, because Jesus rose, because the tomb is empty, he's going to say, therefore. And after the therefore, there is this assault of assurance. There is this barrage of things that we have confidence in because he lives. And listen, it has been a challenging season for so many, if not all. I don't want to generalize We've all experienced the same headlines, and maybe we haven't all experienced those headlines in the same way. Some have lost more than others, and maybe some haven't at all. But I think what we could surely agree on is that things certainly are different than they were a year ago or a year and a half ago. My mom and dad are both uh, first-generation Christians. My grandparents came to faith late in their life, and so my, my mom and dad were both grew up in homes that were not Christian homes. And The Lord saved my mom and my dad in their late teen years, and so uh, I am the humble product of the lineage-changing grace of God. Uh, He interrupted my mom and dad's life at around 16 and 17 and changed the course of their life, and they both just went all in with Jesus, and then they married young and then committed to raising their kids to know and love Jesus, and so that's that's the home I grew up in, a Christian home. One of the things that meant for me, a lot of things that meant for me, one of the things that meant for me is there was a lot of Christian music always playing in my home growing up. And uh, we were either listening to Christian music or we were listening to Journey um, (laughs) because my dad loved Journey. And I think my dad believed that God probably listened to Journey as well, which may or may not be true. But it was uh, mostly Christian music, which if you are familiar with Christian music from the late 80s and into the 90s, you know that that's a pretty mixed bag. It's It's a very... Uh, there are just some low lows in that, and then, well, some, some low highs in all of that. Uh, not all of it, though. There are a few uh, that stuck. There are a few uh, artists or even songs that I'll go back to from that time that I, I just think I'll probably listen to, worship to for the rest of my life. And one of those artists that has stayed with me is a guy named Rich Mullins. He passed away in the late 90s. He's probably best known for his song, Awesome God. And he sings a song and. uh It's a song that I have just gone back to over and over again these past several months. The title of the song is also the chorus of the song, and it's a song called We Are Not As Strong As We Think We Are. And it's just just held the conclusion for me for so much of my thinking and experience over these last several months, right? So many times that I've looked, uh, thought about myself or thought about us or thought about the world and just thought we're not as strong as we think we are. Here are some of the lyrics. He says, we are frail. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, forged in the fires of human passion, choking on the fumes of selfish rage. And with these, our hells and our heavens, so few inches apart, we must be awfully small and not as strong as we think we are. 
at least for me, it puts in really succinct terms what has been exposed about us in this season, that we're not as immune to health crisis as I thought. Uh, The relational fabric of society has more tears in it than I thought. People are not as reasonable as I thought. People are way more crazy than I thought possible, right? There is more hate than I thought. And then just me personally, just trying to reflect and be honest, I don't control as much as I thought I did. My gifts, my talents don't get me as far as I thought they would. I am not insulated from suffering and loss like I thought I was. Some of my relationships are in a worse place than I thought they were. I'm not handling instability and change like I thought I would. I'm not as strong as I think I am. What does Easter have to say to that? What kind of word could pour out of the empty tomb for something like that? Like I know coming in, I don't have as much confidence in certain things as I used, as I used to. It's, it's like some of the ground that I stood on is shaky, and I, I didn't even realize how much weight I had put on shaky ground until it started to really move. And maybe you can relate to that in some ways. If, if I were to take that wrestle and turn it into a few questions, it would sound like this. Is there anything I can be sure of? Is there anything that won't change? Is there anything that will never be taken away? Beloved church, the resurrected Jesus has the most important answers to those questions, and they come from the empty tomb because he lives you can be sure of what matters most. What pours out of the empty tomb is a confidence in two things, that you, because he died and he rose again, you have peace that you cannot lose, and you have hope that will not put you to shame. Because on Friday he died and on Sunday he came back to life, you have peace that you will never lose, and you have hope that will never put you to shame. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access. Hold on to that word, access. By faith into this grace in which we stand. Remember that image, standing on grace. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. He's going into his barrage of of things that we have confidence in. Therefore, because Jesus rose again, therefore, here's what's true. You have peace with God. Peace in the Bible, carries the idea, not just the absence of conflict. Peace is not just that there's no more fighting. Peace goes further than that. Peace is the presence of wholeness. Peace is to be complete. Peace is to be enough. It's to not lack. And in, in, in any amount of honesty and conversation, you and I could agree that that's ultimately what we all want. We all want to live lives of wholeness. We want to live lives where we believe as we are, we're enough. We want to live lives where we don't lack anything. And that desire comes. That desire exists. It's written into your heart because you were made to be in relationship with God and to be at peace with God. And yet that reality is robbed from our hearts because of our own sin. So all searching for that kind of peace, all searching for that kind of completeness and all lacking it, born into a world where we lack it. Now, what happens for so many of us is in that search, instead of going and trying to find that peace with God, we look for that peace in places that compound the problem. We look for that in places that actually make us more anxious. We look for that in places that make us feel even more empty, like being lost at sea and being so thirsty for water that you drink from the ocean and instead of quenching thirst, it accelerates dehydration. At least that's how I think ocean water works. If that's not true, I don't care. The need is for peace with God. And the desire is to try to 
find that wholeness and rest of the soul. And what many of us do is we never, we don't start with God, we start with other people. And we try to find that peace in relationships with other people. Like I can get enough, I can feel enough in the approval of others. I can uh, get enough love from others to make me feel at peace. And so I look to my spouse or a future spouse. I look to my kids or, a, or future kids. I look to my friends or future friends. And I think that the peace that I most need, I will find there. And it never happens. Not because spouses or kids or friends are bad, but simply because they're not God. They are as broken as we are. They are as in need as we are. And so we end up disappointing one another and we end up letting one another down or we end up hurting one another. And we were meant by God to be good to one another. And we were meant by God to be good for one another, but we were never meant by God to be God to one another and never meant by God to be God for one another. So the peace we most need, we don't find in other people because they don't have it. They themselves need it and are also searching for it. And so if that doesn't work, what we tend to turn and think that we'll find that rightness in life. Everything will be okay after one more life change. I don't, I don't know that any of us would say it out loud because it sounds foolish, but what we believe in our heart of hearts, or at least what we reveal in the way that we spend our time and thoughts and desires, is that I am just one change away from everything being okay, one job change away, one relationship change away, just a little more money away, just a little fewer problems away, one more purchase away, one more drink away, one more vacation away, and it's all going to be right. And you know this, what happens is as soon as the change we're waiting for comes, it moves. As soon as that change comes, the heart shifts to something else. Like with just a shred of honesty and self-awareness, we could all look back over our life and see a long list of changes that we were waiting for that actually happened that didn't bring what we thought it would. It didn't make us enough. It didn't bring the peace. We got the job. We got the house. We got the girl. We got the guy. We got the kids. We got away. And then in getting all of that discovered what? It didn't do for me what I thought it would. Or now that I have it, there's a different kind of fear, the fear of fighting to keep it, right? So the fear of of trying to earn moves to the fear of not being able to keep. And the lie of success is that we would get to a point where we've acquired enough to bring peace into our life. And what so many, if not all, discover that the more you get, the simply the more you have to worry about. The more you acquire, the more things that you have to hold a certain level of anxiety and fear and wondering about the future. I got where I always wanted to be and it wasn't what I thought. And that drink does not quench the thirst. It just makes you more thirsty. There's no lasting peace. And then you add, that's the human struggle. That's the human toil. That's the human folly searching for God in places where he cannot be found. And you add on to that a season like this one that has strained relationships, that has maybe put more stress on relationships and so even more disappointment, or you add on to that a season which has destabilized so much of the world. And here's why it doesn't work, not only because peace can only be found in God, but we were actually made for peace to be, not to be, to be found in places. Like if we're looking for peace in a place where it depends on us to earn it, and then depends on us to keep it, there is no peace there. Like when you live a life, when I live a life where we have to earn our spot and then prove our worth once we're there, that is not a life filled with peace. That is a life with just compounded fear and anxiety and what we most need only God offers. And the good news, hear me, the good news of the empty tomb The good news of the Jesus who on Friday he died, on Sunday he came back to life, is that what he offers is peace, but not just peace. It's a peace that you can't earn, and it's a peace you'll never lose. He says it this way, through him we have also obtained access, remember that word, by faith into this grace in which we stand. So here's the logic, through Jesus, access to God, standing on grace, and we have peace. 
That word access is an interesting word. It, it means to be invited into a room. It means to be invited into time, not just with anybody, but with somebody important. It's like a royal invitation. It's a regal invitation. It's you got to come into the court of the king. If you think about any time, if you've ever gotten in your life time with someone really powerful or really famous, someone that the whole world knows, and you got to be in the same room with them, that's the kind of access that he's talking about. I have a friend who has a great story about the night he got to have dinner with a former president of the United States. Now, depending on who it was, that may or may not sound like a good thing to you. So just assume it was one of the ones you liked or the one you disliked the least. I don't know. Assume the best. It's Easter. And he got to have this dinner with this incredibly powerful person, former president of the United States. And it was like a small, just a few people in that room for hours. And he didn't know him. And there was nothing about him that kind of stood out. There were no credentials he had that got him that kind of access. But he got to have that kind of dinner, and he got to have that kind of time because, and only because, he was friends with someone who was friends with the former president. Nothing about him that could have earned his way into that room, nothing about him that could have got him time with someone like that. What he had, the only thing he had was a friend, and through that friend got to have access to a room and to time that he would not have gotten on his own. And that's what the word means. That's the idea when it says through Jesus we have access. It presents this picture of us, all of us, born outside of God's presence, so desperate to get in the room with him. That's the cry of the heart. That's the ache of the soul is to be reunited and at peace with the God of the universe. And all of us are separated from him. It's as if he's just in the next room and yet nothing about me can grant access to him. There is uh, nothing about me that, 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 that could create a door that I would walk through. In fact, everything about me keeps me separated from him. My sin, my idolatry, my secrets. I cannot earn my way into him. I am not pure enough. I cannot promise enough. I am not enough. But what we have is a friend, a savior, a brother, Jesus. And he makes a way because of his cross and empty tomb, because of the great love he has for me and the great love he has for you. He sees you on the other side, outside of God, desperate for the peace you can't earn your way into. He sees you. He comes to you. He puts his arm around you, the very arm that hung on a cross. He puts your hands in his hands, the very hands that were filled with nails, and he wraps his life around yours, covers your sin, covers your failure, and with him you get to walk into the room and forever be with the God that you were made for. And you say, if you were to argue in that moment, no, 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 Jesus, I'm not enough to be in here. He says, well, I am, and you're with me. And then you get there and you say, Jesus, okay, what if, what if I mess this up? I'm not perfect. My life is still a bit of a mess. How can I stay here with God? What if I lose my spot? And Jesus says, look at the ground. Look what you're standing on. You're not in here standing on your performance or your behavior. It says into this grace in which we stand. The ground is grace. The very ground you stand on is the undeserved, irrevocable love of God in Christ. And so what does that mean? What do you have with God? If access to God is through Jesus, no merit of your own, you get in only with his arms around you and his life leading and covering you, and then you stay in because grace holds on to your very feet. What do you have with God? Peace. You can't lose. God loves you, Christian. He loves you. If you are covered in Christ, you have peace 
with God. There is no amount of money you've lost this year that's changed that. There is no amount of anxiety you felt this year that's changed that. There's no relationship that's fallen apart that's changed that. There are no words you wish you could have back that's changed that. There is no parenting failure that's changed that. There is no amount of absence from church that's changed that. There is no loss, no fear, no sin, no failure, no worst moment that has made God retract his love from you. You are forever held by Christ, standing on grace, at peace with the God of the universe. We are not as strong as we think we are, but we are far more loved than we could dream. How do I know? Because on Friday he died, and on Sunday he came back to life. And the empty tomb says you can be confident that you have a peace with God that you'll never lose. And it also says this, you can be confident that you have a hope that will never put you to shame. Verse 3 says this, at the end of 2 he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And then he lays out a path. Would you follow with me? Sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. If you're looking for a verse to memorize, which I'm sure that's why everyone's here, memorize this one. It's one of the most important passages on suffering in the Bible. And what it does is it presents this path of hope. It presents the way in which hope actually gets deeper into our lives. And so you hear it. It starts with hope in God, and then it says suffering comes, and then from suffering it goes to endurance, and then from endurance it goes to character, and then from character it goes back to the hope that you started with. It's this circular path, but it's also a spiral. It's hope's spiral that the more you walk around this, the deeper you get into the hope. And it starts with hope in God, who he is that Jesus is in control, that he rules and reigns over all things. And then what happens for all of us, what Jesus said would happen for all of us, those who start with hope in God, you will face what? Suffering. It's all of us. I like, I love Elizabeth Elliot's definition. She said, suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. That's all of us. We all know that. That's the suffering that's associated with pandemics or loss or the sin that we commit or the suffering from sin committed against us or just the suffering from living in a world that is still broken in need of a savior. And what we know is we know that God is doing something about suffering. God does not delight in suffering. One day God will rid his world of suffering. He does not delight in it, but he does use it. He takes no pleasure in our pain, but he does give it purpose. And part of what he says here is the purpose of suffering in the life of a believer is that it produces something, endurance. So hope in God that leads to suffering and then suffering to endurance. And what endurance is, is it's a sports metaphor. It's the settled certainty that I will not stop running towards Jesus, even and especially when life hurts. And what it's not is it's not a forced smile. It doesn't mean we pretend like everything is all right. And it doesn't mean like we pretend like the things that hurt don't actually hurt. One of the most godly things, we talk about this all the time, one of the most godly things to do in life is to mourn. One of the most Christian responses to life is mourning. When we mourn the things that God mourns about, Job, when he suffered, tore his clothes. Job, when he suffered, sat in sorrow. And the Bible says, in all of it, he did not sin. So endurance is not a caricature of Christianity. Endurance is not the misrepresentation of Christianity that says, always wear a smile and a bumper sticker and too blessed to be stressed Christianity. Endurance is saying, the God of my joys is also the God of my sorrows. 
And what I'm learning in suffering is to hold on to Jesus, and he is like the anchor that keeps the boat from being carried away by the sea. I am tethered to Jesus. I will not drift away, even as the waves maybe are more than I can handle. I'm setting my face toward him one step at a time, and I will persevere because not only is he before me, but he's beside me. That's endurance, and it produces something. Character, hope in God to suffering, suffering to endurance, endurance to character, and character It's like the metal that is refined by fire. It's like the thing that grows stronger in the heat. Character is when we're made more whole. Character is when we ourselves become more sincere. Character is what comes from holding on to God because in our suffering, and especially in our suffering, we learn to hold on to him in new and courageous ways. And the result of that is that we ourselves become like the God that we cling to. It makes us more human. It makes us more like Christ, which brings us back to hope. But there's a new line. Hope in God. Suffering comes. Endurance. Endurance to character. Character to hope. And what's the new line? It doesn't put to shame. I wasn't wrong. It didn't make me a fool. After all of that, after walking through all of that, after enduring and then forging character, I come back to the hope I started with. And it has not made me a fool. It's gone deeper in my heart. The more you go around that path, the deeper the hope that you get, or better said, the deeper the hope gets into you. Because the closer you and I get to the object of our hope, Jesus. I am doing some Easter shopping on Friday before coming up here for Good Friday service. And there was an older woman working the register that I was, the line that I was in. And as I got up uh, to write in front of her, I saw that she had on her vest a, a button, a big green button. And it said in all caps, Jesus. And then underneath it, it said the hope of the world. And I stopped and I said to her, hey, I, I appreciate your button. I, I believe that too. And she looked at me and she said, I don't know how anyone makes it without Jesus. And I responded, I said, you know, I tried life without him and it didn't work. And she paused and she said, I have never tried life without him, but I have been through things in life that made me closer to him. And I thought that's what she knows is she knows what it's like for hope to spiral deeper into your life. I don't know the details, but what she described was a hope in God and some sort of suffering that she's gone through that led to endurance where she held on and she didn't waver, and that endurance led to character, and that character led to the hope that did not put her to shame, and it comes out of her mouth as, I am closer to him because of what I've been through with him. And I'm thinking through all of that, and she looked at me and she said, do you have a Kroger card? (laughs) And it ruined the moment for me. I was like, all right. Thank you. You know, I wonder, does that sound familiar to you? Not Kroger. Does it sound familiar? (laughs) That path, hope in God, suffering, endurance to character. If if you just think about the last 12 months and whatever suffering that's held for you, or maybe the last 12 years and whatever that that means for you has it played out in your life as endurance that leads to character that draws you deeper into the hope in God that you started with you see hear me please hear me when suffering comes one of two things happens one of two things happen when suffering comes hope in God will spiral deeper into your heart or when suffering comes hope in something that's not God will make life spiral out of control 
And maybe what happens is is suffering comes and what it does is it actually reveals that the thing we thought we hoped in, we don't actually hope in. Like what we would have said is we would have said, my hope is in God, I'm holding on to Jesus, but then life hurt and then things changed and we discover that hope was really in something too thin or too weak to, to hold us when life got heavy. It was in a person or a relationship or it was in my resources or it was in how confident I was that things would stay the way they are. And then suffering hits and hope can't hold and life spirals. And when it spirals, it always spirals the same way. Just like hope in God always spirals the same way. Hope in something that's not God always spirals out of control. It's suffering that doesn't lead to endurance. It's suffering that leads to escape. And I try to numb the pain some way. I try to numb the pain through screens or binges or substance or just following whatever dopamine hit is most available and most acceptable. Or we didn't go suffering to endurance. We go suffering to control. And I double down on my self-sufficiency and I tighten my fists around my life and I silently rehearse the lie that I will do a better job than God of leading myself. And life spirals. And when you're in that kind of life spiral, uh, when we escape uh, instead of endure, when we control instead of endure, it does not lead to character. We're not refined by the heat. We melt, melt into more anxiety or melt into more anger or melt into more accusation. And we become like whatever we're holding on to. And if that's not God, it means we become not just less like God, we become less like ourselves in life spirals. And at the end of that spiral out of control, what's waiting is not a hope that doesn't put to shame. What's waiting is the shame of discovering my hope didn't do for me what I thought it would. What's waiting is to discover that something that I was standing on was not strong enough or able enough to hold on to me. And it's in that very space. It's in the place of disappointed hope It's in that very space of hope putting to shame that the resurrected Jesus longs to recapture your attention and mine. It's in that very space that the resurrected Jesus wants to turn our eyes back to the assurance that pours out of the empty tomb. Church, I'm not a prophet, but one of the things I believe God to be doing in his people right now One of the things I believe God to be doing in his church who's humble enough to pay attention in all the turmoil and uncertainty, I believe the one who rules and reigns is calling his sons and daughters to return to the sure and steady and steadfast hope that comes in and only in the resurrected Jesus. I think what he's doing is that the hope that doesn't put to shame, he is calling us that that hope would spiral deeper into our hearts, even and especially as the world spirals out of control. And look, I have hoped in plans and been put to shame. I have hoped in people and been put to shame. I have hoped in myself and been put to shame. I have never and will never be made a fool for believing that Jesus died, rose, rules, is coming again, is eager and able to carry me through whatever hell life holds. We are not as strong as we think we are, but held by and hidden in Christ, we are far more secure than we could ever dream. We are strong in him who perfects the weak. How do we know? Because on Friday he died. And on Sunday, he came back to life. All of Friday's fear 
in all of Friday's sorrow, surrendered to all of Sunday's joy, overwhelmed by all of Sunday's hope. On Friday, all of his words doubted. On Sunday, all of his words proven true. On Friday, he's mocked. On Sunday, he's worshipped. On Friday, he's beaten. On Sunday, he's embraced. On Friday, the world is over. On Sunday, eternity began. On Friday, sin reigned. On Sunday, grace won. On Friday, death is proud. On Sunday, death is defeated. On Friday, Jesus is crucified, King of the Jews. On Sunday, he reigns King of kings and Lord of lords, who was and is and is to come. And all glory and honor and dominion and power belongs to our Lord Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Because on Friday he died, on Sunday he came back to life. Is there anything I can be sure of? Is there anything that will never change? Is there anything that will never be taken away? The risen Christ, Jesus, our King, rules and reigns at the Father's right hand, has defeated death and promises one day to return in victory. And the assurance of his empty tomb, his righteous rule, is peace that you can't lose and hope that will never put you to shame. Happy Easter, church. Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your kindness to us. You could have left us to wonder. You could have left us in a broken world to cope with suffering, to cope with anxiety, to cope with restlessness all our own. But you didn't. Because you're rich in mercy, because of the great love that you have for us, you have not left us to wonder. You have not left us without answers. But you finally and decisively worked in history to declare that we are yours and that we have a future and that all of our sin you can cover and all of our worry you can overcome. And I just pray, God, individually what you would do in the hearts and lives of these, my brothers and sisters, in my heart and in my life, would you would help me discern where I'm holding on to what won't hold on to me, that I might let go of what fades and hold tighter to you, Jesus, my King. I pray that what you would do collectively in the life of your church, I pray that in a season where the world spirals out of control, that you would unite our hearts together because we have a shared hope that can go deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts. Would you do it, God? We need you. Would that be the thing that is known about us in this city, in the world, that they are Sunday people? They are resurrection people. We love you. We need you. Amen. Would you find the elements for communion? They should be underneath the chair in front of you. If you are not yet a believer in Jesus, we ask that you would not take the elements at this time. That's not for the purpose of being exclusive or judgmental. The, the, the story that I hope you don't hear is that you're in a room full of people who believe they're better than you. That's not true. You're in a room full of people who have come to a point where they have laid their imperfection, laid their sin, laid their frailty at the foot of the cross, and Jesus was eager and kind to cover our lives and to make us new. This is not a room of people, that, of good people that Jesus is making better. It's a room of people who were dead but now are alive, who were lost and now is found. And if that's you, if you're not a believer but you're here on Easter Sunday, you're watching on Easter Sunday, I, I pray that the takeaway would be 
that God didn't bring you in here to leave you more confused about him, but he brought you in here to consider that maybe there is a love for you that can cover over your failure. Maybe there is a peace for you that you can't lose and a hope that won't put you to shame. Would you consider that this morning, friend? Believers, this is our tangible reminder every week what Jesus did for us, the security we have in him, the surety we have because his body was broken, his blood was spilled, but he didn't stay dead, he rose again. Let's do something this morning. Would you, just in honor of the risen Christ, would you stand and we'll take communion standing together this morning? On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, said, this is my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. He took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Drink in remembrance of me. Father, we love you. We get the honor now to sing to you. We get the honor of lifting our voices in praise of who you are and what you've done. And maybe worship for some means staying seated and having conversation with you. Maybe worship for some means standing and lifting their hands and surrender to you. But I pray, God, that across the room, wherever we are, that we would respond in a way that demonstrates with our lives our gratitude and our confidence in you, the risen Christ. We love you. Amen.